Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a church that is learning to live like Jesus for the restoration of our city and the renewal of our nation. During the coronavirus outbreak, we have both online and in-person gatherings across all of our sites in and around Cardiff. So wherever you feel comfortable at the moment, you can engage with church. You can find all of the details you'll need on our website, vineyardcardiff.org Sundays. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor, James Rankin. Hi, my name's James. So good to be with you today. I'm in a jubilant mood today, so just to warn you. Uh, I'm so excited that the West is one today, the West site, getting old, but it's their birthday and so they're, they're going to be celebrating today and I'm celebrating along with them. Also excited about this series that we're in, Do Not Lose Heart. In the scriptures it says, it felt good to us and to the Holy Spirit and, that, and that's exactly how I feel about this, really, it's just the right, see, it's the right series for the right time and so... Today's passage is pretty meaty, it's pretty fibrous, full of fibre, and so here we go. Now there have been many difficult aspects of the last year, but I think one of the greatest challenges has been trying to keep perspective. Perspective is is how we look at things, uh, what we focus on, where we choose to fix our gaze. And we will have all experienced times over the last year and and indeed in life when our perspective has become a bit warped or or cranky. You're looking at something, but you're not sure that you're looking at it in the right way. Sometimes that can look like our minds getting stuck in a bit of a loop where they keep going over the same material time and time again. We can't quite let it go. Could be something somebody says, an email, an interaction, And this thing gets blown way out of proportion. It it becomes bigger than it really was. And sometimes it can be the straw that breaks the camel's back, that you're holding everything together and you have a couple of things come in and you seem to ride them quite well. And you're like, oh, I dealt with that pretty well. And then this really little thing comes along and you fall off the cliff. You go completely over the edge. You respond in a way that is so much bigger than the thing it actually is. The thing is tiny, but there's been this built build up of pent up emotion that suddenly um, goes off. In these moments, it's so important though that we just stop, isn't it? And we come before the Lord and it's like, Lord, what are you doing? I've probably had three of these moments over the last year that I can think of. I call them mini, mini moments <laughs> and of just pent up frustration of various things. And in those moments, it's, like, it's so important just to stop. It's like, Lord, I've got to see this the way that you see this, because the way that I'm seeing it is not all right. And therefore, Lord, you're going to have to break in. So our perspective is so important. And what we focus on is more important than ever. Where our hope lies is revealed when we're under pressure. Trial, difficulty, even suffering strips everything away. And it, and it can make us feel a little bit naked. It's like, oh, I feel, I feel a bit exposed in this moment because some of the things I have relied on have been taken away. Some of the support mechanisms, some of the things that we've taken for granted are no longer possible, simple things leaving the house and going where we want, going to the end of the road for a drink, meeting up with a friend in their house. A small example for me personally would be just gathering together as God's people, 
worshipping together, singing together, eating together, praying together. They feel like they've been a bit stripped away. I've only met once with the staff team over the last calendar year. That has been, there's been a real grief in that. I personally hugely miss corporate worship, that I long for the day when we can worship freely, pray out spontaneously, see each other's smiles. I long for this. Many of you are longing to spend time with close friends and family without restrictions, somewhere longing to go somewhere outside of your house. But Christian hope and perspective has an enormous impact on how we face and process suffering, disappointment, difficulty, troubles, all of these things. And we're called in this series, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. That's my encouragement. That's Paul's encouragement to us as we look at 2 Corinthians. And we're going to be in chapters 4 and 5 today. And today I want to look at having an eternal perspective. Chapter 4 verse 18 says this, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on what, what is right in front of us, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, eternal perspective. So in chapters four and five, Paul's talking about, well, how do we deal with difficulty and disappointment? How do we not lose heart? And he says the key is perspective, eternal perspective. We need to look beyond what is right in front of us here and now to see the much, much bigger picture of what God is doing. That's why the scriptures are so beautiful, aren't they? Because they, they invite us into this story that's so much bigger, all the way from creation to the, to the end, um, to the new city, the new heaven and the new earth. The way that I want to look at this passage today, chapter four and five, is I'm going to be camped in verses 16 to 18, and then I'm going to go backwards into the passage and I'm going to go forwards. Alice said last week that hope is rooted in the past what God has done, and that's what she looked at in chapter 3, what Jesus has done, and the future, what he will do. But it's for the encouragement of us in the present, being renewed day by day. We draw Christian perspective from both sides. Both sides hold us up, and they help us not to lose heart in this time in between. And it's like we grab from both ends. We grab from the past, we grab from the future, and we bring it into the present. And this is what Paul's doing in this passage in Corinthians. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the first key to having an eternal perspective is to realise this isn't it. This isn't it. And it sounds obvious, but we are living in the light of eternity, whereby this life is formed and understood by where we're heading. In verse 16, Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. We're wearing away, maybe a little better way to put it. And notice it's almost a throwaway line from Paul, isn't it? He assumes everybody knows it, that it's a given. The Greek scholars will tell you that Paul is not just talking here about the body. He's talking about life in this world, the visible world. And by putting it into the present progressive, he's saying everything in this world is wearing away. Everything. Our bodies. This life is but a breath. It's but a moment in comparison with eternity. And that's the comparison going on here. And he says it kind of offhandedly because he would in the 
context in which he's writing, everybody would have understood it. Much of our time, the time in our society, I think that we are trying to be in denial of this, including in the church. The worldview of our society is all around the present. Our, our perspective, perspective sorry, is fixated on the now. What is here and now? What is seen? What is right in front of me? And the past doesn't seem to be that important and the future is a bit uncertain, unknown. And therefore, the hope has to all be around now, which leads to so much expectation upon today. So much pressure on being happy and everything working out, living our dreams now. And not that that is all bad, but it is short-sighted. Into this backdrop of our society, COVID has crashed in, making us far more aware as a society about our mortality. The government has for the last year been putting up a daily total of the death rate, which has been really sobering. That we're all aware of people who've had COVID, sorry, or who have lost loved ones as a result. And as we become more aware of our mortality, then as a society, we start to ask slightly different questions. Is this it? What happens when we die? Where's my hope found? What can I cling to? And that's why I believe that coming into the next season will be one of the greatest opportunities in, in my lifetime, at least, to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That this life is not it. It's not all about now. We're wearing away and everybody knows it. They just don't want to acknowledge it. And as Christians, Paul is saying, well, don't be surprised by death and suffering, by trial and difficulty, it's inevitable. Why? Because this isn't it. This isn't the totality. This is not the pinnacle. We glimpse but in part and we can feel the groanings of creation and we long for home. We long for our eternal home. In Philippians, it says that our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong and we realise that this world is broken and we long for the kingdom to come in fullness and we see these glimpses of our, it. And we're like, yes, the glimpse of the kingdom, but it is not here in its fullness and therefore we're longing for home. So our, our perspective has to have a future dimension. And Paul goes on to talk about these light and momentary troubles, which when you look at his life and all that he's been through, you're like, that seems like a ridiculous statement, Paul. Second Corinthians, this book is written to a church where Paul's authority and credentials are being questioned. If you read the whole of two Corinthians, you'll see Paul is responding to people who say, you can't trust Paul. God isn't with him. Look at, look at his life. He's a mess. He's not that impressive. And some of the thinking was that Paul had had so much difficulty in his life. It's like, well, how can God be with him when he's struggling so much? And Paul knows that people are talking about this. And he makes a list of all the things that have happened to him in 2 Corinthians 11. And this is quite a list. As you read this, you'll be like, oh my goodness, Paul has been through this. So when he's talking about light and momentary troubles, you're like, whew. He says this, 11.24, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. He was shipwrecked three times. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. 
that is a lot of danger. I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak. So here's how the questioning went. You can imagine it like this. People were saying, how could God be with a man when all of this stuff happens to him? Surely when God's with you, he protects you. Surely when God is with you, you prosper. And you can imagine somebody saying, hey, I've been traveling the Mediterranean all my life. I've never been shipwrecked. And Paul's been shipwrecked three times. What's the matter with him? I mean, if God is with him, if God is with you, if you're an apostle, if God is really with you, all these bad things wouldn't be happening. And now that is a pretty normal question. I mean, Job's friends ask it of Job. Everything was going wrong for Job in his business life, in his family life, in his health. Everything is going wrong. And what did Job's friends say? Job's friends say, Job, there's something wrong here. If God is with you, all this kind of stuff wouldn't happen. Not this much. If God is with you, he protects you, doesn't he? God can't be with you. And of course, it's a, it's a question that we also ask ourselves when we're going through tough times. When you have one of those times in life when things keep going wrong and something happens and we say, oh, do you know, what? I'm definitely at the bottom now. And then something else crashes in on you and like, oh, I can go lower. And you start looking at your life and you're saying, well, that can't be right. God, where are you in this? If, how can this happen? And how, so, so how does Paul respond to this this is the accusation against him how does Paul respond to this premise that if God is with you all this suffering wouldn't be happening and Paul doesn't just say well he is anyway he doesn't just say well God is with me in spite of all that he goes further Paul says his sufferings are not only not a denial of the gospel they are a confirmation of the gospel God's strength being shown through weakness. And this is a tough passage for us to get our heads around. Strength in weakness. And so I just want to pick it up in verse 7. It says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He says here our bodies are like pottery, that we're like these clay jars. And you know, the one thing in common about all pottery is if you drop it, it breaks really easily. Clay jars are just not that solid, are they? They're quite fragile. We're all clay jars. Our bodies are like clay jars. And we're all a little bit cracked and broken because we've been dropped. But inside this clay jar, which is us, is this all-surpassing power. We are frail, but God puts his power inside of us so that it's not us that gets the glory. But it's God that gets the glory. And Paul is saying it's not about the external pot. It's about what's inside that matters. He goes on in verse 8. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And as I was thinking about these verses this week, God gave me a picture of what this feels like. And when we're under pressure, it feels like there's this box. Can you imagine almost like a see-through box? And it's pressing in on us. And, and it doesn't just come from one side. It feels like it's coming from the front and the back, from the sides. And even from the ceiling as well. And so it's, it's this pressure that's coming in. And the picture that I, I had was just of this... It's this... Stand, we, we stand, don't we? We stand firm. 
That's what God gives us the ability to do, that these things are pressing in. But no, they're not going to crush me. They're not going to overwhelm me. Standing firm, not losing heart. Sometimes we can feel immense pressure and challenge and it's being able to take our stand. How do we do that? Again, we come back, the key is found in our perspective, eternal perspective. Paul goes on, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus's sake so that his life may also be be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This section is pretty intense. I've had to read it a number of times, read a number of commentaries on it. It's like, what's happening here? Well, Paul's saying the way that the gospel works, death leading to resurrection, weakness leading to strength. In Jesus' life is the way it's working in my life. See, when Paul says death is at work in me, it's a metaphor, of course. It's, it's a metaphor for all of the emotional deaths and the economic deaths. He's talking about suffering and he calls it death working in me. And look what he says. He says, just as for Jesus, suffering and death led to greater life. Of course, our saviour went to the cross, didn't he? Jesus didn't have it easy. Incredibly difficult. I find that living in Jesus, the same sort of thing happens. My death seemed to lead to greater life. Paul is talking about the fact that his sufferings in ministry, which I talked about earlier, his sufferings and trials and tribulations in ministry, he suffers because he's trying to tell people about how glorious God is. And as a result, he suffers, and yet it's leading to greater life in other people's lives. Because he's suffered, people are hearing the gospel, people are having spiritual life. Paul, at his core, was desperate absolutely desperate to see people come to know God, to meet Jesus, desperate for God to be glorified. And in trial and suffering, Paul knew the beautiful presence of Jesus. He knew that God was with him in the middle of these difficulties. He could see God's power working even when things were tough from him. He could see God moving. He could see the fingerprints of God in people's lives. He's like, wow, people were coming to faith. God was breaking in. And yet sometimes it was really difficult. And I don't think that this is just for Paul and Christian ministry. But when disciples follow the call of God and we're obedient to the Holy Spirit, it generally isn't just towards ease and comfort. It's about his kingdom being extended. That's what God cares about. His glory and his kingdom being extended. God's glory is Paul's primary drive in this life, and it leads him into all sorts of challenging places. Eternal perspective is remembering what God has called us to. That's our mission. And, you know, I talked about it not just being people in Christian ministry, but people who are lawyers, you know, they're standing for justice. They're like, God, kingdom break in here and now. Doctors and nurses working in difficult places. Starting businesses that are founded on kingdom purposes. Working, could be working in a particular coffee shop because God has asked you to. God's like, I want you to work here. Moving location because God has plans for you to plant your life. Taking a job for less pay because you know it's where God wants you. Choosing to be less, having less so that he might become greater. This feels so countercultural, doesn't it? Of, well, life's all about you. 
And Paul's like, no, life is all about the Lord and his purposes. And is that easy? No. Do you know what? Sometimes it's really difficult. But he has met me in every circumstance. He sustained me. I can see him moving. I can see his power. And his strength is made perfect in my weakness. I'm just this jar. I'm just this pot from which God's all-surpassing power is put in. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Again, eternal perspective, eternal glory he's talking about here. Such an interesting statement, isn't it? This contrast of these two things. Troubles and difficulty cause us to fix our eyes upon heaven, that we're needing renewal that we're renewed day by day, but we're looking ahead to the restoration of all things, when everything is going to be made right. And what we are experiencing in difficulty now, in comparison to the eternal glory we will receive, is so small. And at this point, the passage starts looking forward. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Well, how do we do this? How do we have this eternal perspective? Because it's one thing to talk about, but I think in our culture and in our churches, this is not something that we're very good at. Well, chapter five begins to unpack this, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For a while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul in this passage is describing a longing for home. Resurrection hope is central to our faith. And yet we can find it so difficult to engage with, to let it affect us, to let the vision of the future break into the present because if all we have is our present then we will do everything that we can to try and control today we will put our hands on our lives it's like I've got to control it I've got to control it it's so difficult to let go but a heavenly perspective enables us to open our hands it it enables us to take our hands off the driving wheel and hold things more lightly and then there is freedom God can come in In 5.1, Paul starts by tackling our mortality head on, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, which it most certainly will be, then we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Paul just compares our bodies to a tent and our resurrection bodies to a permanent home built by God himself that's going to last forever in the new creation. And in the ancient world, it wasn't unusual to compare our bodies to a tent. And do you know what? It's such a fabulous analogy. And it makes me think back to uh, my wife, Jen, is a big fan of camping. I am not such a big fan of camping. Anyway, last summer, we couldn't really go abroad or do anything, could we? So West Wales, it was the beautiful West Wales. So we went down to St. David's and we planned to stay for five days, five nights. And we got to St. David's and we were on a campsite overlooking the sea putting up the tent and the sun was out, completely blue sky, walking along the cliffs next to the sea. It was like a piece of heaven. It was like, I'm home. This this is where I want to live. This is where I want to be. Always good with the world. And so 
you know, had a fire pit and a barbecue. It, it was literally beautiful, I can still remember it. Still remember the colour of the sky. Went to sleep that night, had a fairly good night, and then woke up the next day in a cloud. Literally, the tent was in a cloud. A cloud that didn't move for two days. And this was not a cloud of the Lord's presence. It was something else. It was a wet cloud. And it meant that we couldn't even see the sea. Couldn't even see more than about 20 yards in front of us, that everything was wet. Jen spent four hours with cups in her hands because a storm comes in as well. So not only were we in this wet cloud, but a storm trying to catch the raindrops. And so we kind of endure, we're like, oh, you know, it's gonna shift, it's gonna get shift. After two days of living in the cloud, we started longing for home. Actually, I, I was longing for home much earlier than that. But, and suddenly you're like, why the heck am I in a tent? I could be at home. My home is amazing. I could have a fire. I could, I could, just, I could just make a cup of tea. I could press the kettle and make a cup of tea. And so just this analogy of a tent, our body, our life right now being like a tent in permanent compared to the permanence that we're going to have in the future. It's a powerful image. We grow longing to be put in our heavenly dwelling. And then Paul builds on this in chapter 5, 6 to 10 and explains why this makes a real difference in the way that we act, think and relate. Verse 6 explains that this reality changes our mood and our outlook on all of life. So we are always of good courage. Perhaps better translated as being confident of this, because we know that what we experience now is a faint shadow of what is to come. Paul says that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, this is verse seven, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Coming back to the verse 18 earlier. To live by sight is, is, is to act as if we're in control, to operate on the principle that we can fix things, to rely on our own ability, to act as if position and reputation and appearance matter rather than clinging on by faith to the fact that the only the things of the Lord will last. Verse 8, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Living by faith then is living to please Jesus both now and in the future. So he says, here's the key. We don't look at the troubles that we can see right now. That's what discourages, discourages you. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. He's talking about in heaven. For the troubles that we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. It's such a big mindset shift for us to think future, to think about going to be with Jesus. Corrie Ten Boone says this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. So just in finishing, God calls us to this eternal perspective that we have to grab from the past, which we talked about last week, and from the future. And we bring them into the present because we realise that we're part of a story that is so much bigger than what is right in front of us now. The way that we do this and the only way that we can do this is by being renewed day by day is that we have to sit in the presence of the Lord. And I've experienced this when you're feeling overwhelmed and things are crashing in and it all feels too much. You have to take it back and you have to sit before the Lord and you have to be like presence of God come, spirit come. Let me see with kingdom glasses. Let me see with your eyes, Jesus, what's going on. Give me a bigger perspective because this feels so much right now. 
but I want to be a part of the bigger story. Open my eyes, Lord. Paul is such an inspiration. I'm going to pray and finishing. Jesus, we thank you that you're preparing a place for us and a home for us and that there is the promise of what is to come. And Lord, I struggle to get my head around it sometimes. A lot of the time. But I can feel it. I can feel that this world is broken and it's not all there is. That I'm longing for home. Thank you that you're so good to us. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.